0: Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast.
1: Hello, ciao, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, namaste, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories Podcast 2023. I'm your host, Betsy Olam, and we have a fascinating guest for you today. Our theme for this year is the 50 states, but let's not stop there. Some of our most important and interesting exports come from our territories too. Let's not forget about their contribution to our economy. So today we are focused on Puerto Rico and a very successful entrepreneur. But first I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, the North Carolina District Export Council.
2: My name is Bill Harrison, and I'm the chair of the North Carolina District Export Council. It gives me great pleasure to sponsor the Export Stories podcast. The North Carolina District Export Council is one of more than 60 district export councils throughout the United States. The North Carolina District Export Council is composed of approximately 30 members who are appointed by the US Secretary of Commerce. The members are leaders and experts in the field of international trade. The North Carolina District Export Council contributes its leadership and international trade expertise to complement the U.S. Commercial Services export promotion efforts by counseling businesses on the exporting process and conducting international trade education. The North Carolina District Export Council's primary activities are to advocate, For North Carolina exporters organize b2b trade missions for North Carolina companies mentor North Carolina businesses new to international trade and to educate through export university programs and seminars a major innovative initiative of the North Carolina District Export Council is its building trade DNA initiative the purpose is to educate students from our youngest learners to high school students and beyond on how exporting and international trade works. It is tailored to the learning level of each class to make it fun and interactive. This initiative has been adopted by the National Association of District Export Consuls and other district export consuls throughout the U.S. Thank you for joining us for this Export Stories podcast with our host, Betsy Olam.
1: Now it is my pleasure to introduce our guest, Joanne Loriano. Joanne is a fashion jewelry and accessories designer, manufacturer, and exporter. She is the creator and owner of the fashion jewelry and accessory brands, Cristalos and Devozioni. Devozioni. (laughs) Sorry, she'll pronounce that better later. Uh, Joanne is the only Puerto Rican fashion designer to win the Made in Puerto Rico Award for Exporter of the Year, and her brand was chosen among the 10 best Catholic gifts by the Catholic Marketing Network of the United States. She is also the only fashion designer in the history of Puerto Rico to be appointed by the U.S. Secretary of Commerce to the Puerto Rico District Export Council. And she was recently appointed vice president of that organization. And she also recently became the very first member of the Puerto Rican creative industry sector to be appointed to the Puerto Rican private sector task force by U.S. Congresswoman Jennifer Gonzalez. So that was a mouthful. But hello, Joan. Welcome to the podcast. Just tell us something about your background and then how you came to create your most famous brands.
3: Well, um, my background is in electrical engineering. Uh, I'm an electrical engineer and my husband as well. I worked, uh, in the engineering industry for approximately 10 years. I worked for the DOD, uh, for a private contractor of the DOD. I have worked in pharmaceuticals and, uh, medical devices, technology for companies like Hewlett Packard, for example. Uh, but you know, I always wanted to explore the creative industry sector because my mom is a very, very creative person. She was uh, the seamstress uh, of one of Puerto Rico's most important fashion designers, Carlota Alfaro. And I think mm-hmm. I got that from my mom. I got yes. that from my mom and I wanted to do it. I wanted to be a fashion designer as well. But my mom told me, listen, Joan, this is, this doesn't work. You know, the fashion industry in Puerto Rico doesn't work. You're going to die of hunger. Um, This is not a good career move for you, especially when you're so good in math and sciences. So I took her advice and I studied engineering, but then when the 2008 uh, housing crisis came to the United States, you know, we have a saying here that whatever feels like a flu in the United States feels like a cancer in Puerto Rico. It's like five times worse when it comes to Puerto Rico. So as a result of that, and as a result of the retirement of the section 936 industries from Puerto Rico, those were uh, like uh, some packages of incentives for uh, industries that were set up in Puerto Rico that went away. So as a result of that combination, there were massive layoffs everywhere, companies closing, and my husband and I became unemployed at the same time. So I was like, okay, so I, you know, I went to the engineering sector to get something that that would be, uh, that would secure a future for me and it didn't work. So I have nothing to lose right now. Let's go back to my dream of becoming a fashion designer. And here I am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh wow. Well, that that I'm so glad that worked out for you and everybody. It's yeah. isn't, that, isn't that amazing? I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people with stories like that. And I hope people will follow their dreams because uh I, I mean my dream was to have an export management company and I did, but you know, it's funny how situations create the opportunity. Yeah. oh yeah yeah actually yeah. and you know
3: i was fearful at first because remember that my mom told me this is not going to work you're going to mm-hmm. die of hunger and i entered the fashion industry with that fear and i was able to actually confirm that my mom was right i'm not saying that my mom was wrong she was right you know right. i when i entered the fashion sector i could see that the uh, fashion runways full were full of designers that will show that were showing clothes that were not selling Fashion buyers were not there. People that had the buying capacity were not there. So my mom was right, but at the same time, I was feeling that nobody was sitting down to explore why my mom was right. Why was this happening? Why is it that in the fashion runways of Puerto Rico? And then I realized that it spread to the Caribbean as well why was this phenomenon happening? No buyers among the audience. People were not buying the products or anything, you know? And my engineering mindset ca- kicked in and I was like, the numbers don't add up. I need to find out what's going on because I started finding out that there were fashion designers that were living in inhumane conditions because they were not able to sell their clothing.
0: Oh, and-
3: wow celebrities were, were taking advantage of them like they were asking the fashion designers to dress them for free for for TV or media uh, appearances but listen you are the artist you should pay these creatives for what they're doing so they were not getting paid because they were promised exposition but that exposition was not uh, creating any revenue for the designers as well and this all came, I came to the conclusion, well, I came to many conclusions, but one of them was that the marketing statistics and data, statistical data to be able to link the offer of the designers with the demand of the customer was not there. And also the use of influencers and artists to promote their brands was all wrong. the the celebrities that were asking clothing for free did not have the audience that the designer needed to sell their clothing. So they were appealing to the wrong customer. So as you can see, this all comes to a lack of statistical data about purchasing patterns in the fashion industry. And as soon as I found that out, I started educating my colleagues, my friends, because there were some designers that were... Uh, They were resisting that message because, let me tell you something, hanging out with celebrities and important people from TV and media can be something very attractive, but if it's not paying off, it doesn't matter, you're going to die of hunger. So uh, I started educating my colleagues and I got out of the fashion runway system and I started getting the statistical data for myself and linking all the data. And after almost 15 years, here I am impacting 13 countries around the world and becoming the example that the Puerto Rican in industries, you know, the creative industries needed to wake up right. and say, listen, we have to start asking questions because this has not been working. Why is this girl that came in later than myself, I can imagine like an older, older fashion designer saying this, like... How is it that this new girl comes in and becomes an international success and I've been here for 30 years and I'm doing nothing? So right. this is the reason, you know.
1: Right. It's it's about finding the real buyers, the real exactly. buyers with the real uh you know uh ability to pay and pay a fair market price and to and to grow a market. So exactly. Well, that's and we're going to talk a little bit about how you, how you've uh, influenced your local, um, you know, industry, but, but let's, let's just talk about your products for a minute. So begin with, is all the manufacturing done in Puerto Rico? Yes. Yes, it's
3: manufactured and packaged in Puerto Rico. Of course, I, I use components from all around the world because mm-hmm. Puerto Rico is not a majority producer of raw materials, so I have to source some materials, but I do comply with the Buy American Act, which, uh, which says that 51% or more has to come from the U.S. and Puerto Rico. So that's why I, I have all the support of the U.S. Commercial Service and the U.S. Department of Commerce. And yeah, um, I have my secular brand, which is Cristalos. That's the line of accessories: bracelet, bracelets, necklaces, earrings that are based on my personal experiences. They all tell stories.
1: Yeah, please describe. Since this is audio, can you please describe for the listeners your your two brands and what what the jewelry line is like or what they're like.
3: Yeah. Cristalos is my secular brand that's inspired on my personal journey throughout life. You know, every Mm -hmm. time I travel, if I find something interesting, something beautiful about uh, the country I'm in, for example, I dedicated a whole collection to Panama because of the first time I traveled to Panama. I loved the country so much that I dedicated, for example, uh, a collection to them. So that one is basically based on my own life experiences. But the big one, the huge one that has us traveling around the world is Devozioni by Cristalos. That's our Catholic brand of rosary bracelets and chaplets that tell the stories of different saints, devotions of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit. And I use the liturgical colors, the biblical colors. <laughs> the textures, the shapes of the stones, even the material of the stone is there because of a reason. It's there to tell the story of a saint or a story of a devotion. And we have a team of priests that are experts in canon law and theology that oh, wow. check all of the histories before releasing them to the market because they come with a booklet. It's like a people cannot see it, but Betsy can see it. So I'm going to show it to her. Okay, I can it, see it it has a a booklet that includes the infographic of the rosary bracelet and how each color texture or shape uh tells you the story of the saint and we have it in several languages because you know we are in several countries already this one that i showed you is in spanish and english but we have it in italian and english french english uh, portuguese english depending on the country we're exporting to
1: oh wow So uh, yeah, uh, just name, if you don't mind, just uh, list real quickly the countries where you are, if if that's not too hard. Oh yeah, yeah. We're exporting right now
3: to Europe through our distributors in Madrid, Spain, and Loreto, Italy. Uh, We're distributing also to the UK, Canada, Australia, and also uh, the US. We have distributors also in the U.S. We have a distributor in Chile. We have two in Panama. One of them is only for Panama. We have another distributor in Panama that also distributes to Peru. Sure. And of course, we're in Puerto Rico.
1: <laughs> of course. Thank goodness. Oh, that's that's wonderful. That's It's, it's a great story. Um, now, okay, I'm, so I'm going to veer off a little bit and talk in broader terms. So, from your business perspective, can you tell us something about Puerto Rico today since the last devastating hurricane? I mean, how, how are y'all doing? What's, you know, from, from a business perspective, what's what's going on?
3: Well, it's an extreme story of resilience, I have to tell you, because the hurricane was not the only thing that happened to us. Then later it, it came a whole year of earthquakes <laughs> in 2020. Oh, Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, whenever I would feel an earthquake, I would go like I would call my husband and tell him, listen, there's another earthquake. Like, go. Let's go to the to the corner of the of the wall of the house. We already knew the uh, the earthquake drill, you know, by heart. Uh, we had, of course, the pandemic. We had a period of political instability in 2019 when our governor was uh, removed from office. Yes. And, you know, that combined with the logistics the international logistics uh challenges that we have it i i cannot say that it has been easy because it has not and then we had another or, uh, another hurricane hurricane fiona it was not only hurricane maria
1: so no oh, i know that's right yeah uh, and, I, and i was going to ask you about the logistics what are some of those challenges i mean obviously you're a, a an island Territory, but so you've but you've got air and ocean, but but there, it's limited ocean, isn't it? Or is it limited both? Uh, as yeah, far as yeah,
3: exactly. There, there's a limited uh, count of boats available. But also, there's another challenge related to education. You know, in Puerto Rico, there has always been this employee mentality. Whenever you would want to be a business person. Uh, your own parents will tell you, oh, no, be careful of, uh, of that. You know, don't become a business person. That's too risky. You know, you'd better study to become an employee in a factory somewhere. But then when 2008 came in and there were massive layoffs everywhere, you had a lot of employees that were not trained to become business people. So what are they going to do? They started migrating to the U.S. So, you know, from almost 4 uh, million people that we have in Puerto Rico, the last U.S. Census Bureau estimate uh, came in saying that we have 3.2 wow. so well a lot of people you That's know huge. we lost a lot of people that moved to the United States because of all of these conditions and on top of that we don't have business education because the employee mentality has been too strong in Puerto Rico that means that we don't have enough people that are good experts in international logistics And that's an Achilles heel. That's a huge Achilles heel. Because Mm -hmm. whenever I attend uh, business seminars, I I do business seminars. I attend as a Mm -hmm. keynote speaker in some of them. And I can hear my colleagues talking about maritime uh, logistics. And I'm like, listen, the new entrepreneurial generation in Puerto Rico does not use boats. They don't use boats because first of all, they don't have the volume. They don't have the sales right. volume to fill a, a container right. or a pallet or even a pallet. In my case, look, uh, the packaging of my products is really small. The yes. biggest box that I have, fits 250 bracelets. So you can imagine, you know, and yeah. for me to fill a pallet, it takes a lot. And I send thousands monthly yeah. to our distributors. So, uh, and on top of that, you have to add the e commerce phenomenon. Mm-hmm. People are using air logistics much more than before. And if you go to the US Census Bureau website and you check several of the HFS codes, the harmonized codes of products, and I, I looked up my harmonized code. And in many countries, the air logistics has. Uh, Gone on top of maritime logistics, and I I bet it's because of e-commerce as well. So I don't think the education is geared to, towards the right place. People are talking about how to move products by boat, but they are not realizing that the new generation of entrepreneurs are using airplanes much more,
0: and yeah. they are not
3: educating the, those people in in air air logistics, which is I think that I think that's what we need in Puerto Rico. We need to uh, connect the need of our new generation of entrepreneurs with what we are educating uh, educating them about. Right.
1: You know, I believe that, uh, and I think you've told me this before, that China has a noticeable footprint in the Puerto Rican retail market. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Well, it does. It does. And But I I can notice that it has a bigger footprint in other countries of Latin America, because since we are an American territory, we had a lot of American products, but I can... And I I can still see the influence of of China in in Puerto Rico because they are opening, for example, stores around uh, the island called Chinatown, for example. They've always been here with the Chinese restaurants. They've always based their businesses in food, but now they are diversifying. They are opening stores of cheap Chinese products everywhere around the island. And I can see that it's becoming a, a major issue uh, around Latin America because, you know, I, I, since I traveled to Latin America a lot, I can see a lot of stores that, shiny stores that cover entire streets in the Dominican Republic, for example. If you go to Calle El Conde, El Conde Street in uh, the capital of the Dominican Republic, it's full of Chinese stores that sell both retail and wholesale because, you know, the Dominicans sell because they need to get out of poverty so they see those wholesale stores as a as a place where they can buy things wholesale to sell to their friends and family or to their co-workers and or something but they the products that are being sold there and I'm sorry I, I that this doesn't have anything to do with Chinese people of course, of course. You know? Like, I know I, what,
1: I, I think it. I know what you're gonna say that's fine go yeah, ahead
3: These are not products that are top quality or that are even um, healthy to people because I have been able to smell the fabrics that are being sold in those uh, wholesale clothing stores and they smell like, sometimes they smell like paint or they smell like gasoline. And I can see the fibers since I have education in fashion and I can see that these textiles are flammable. They're not safe. And um, yeah, I know that they don't have safety regulations, which we do in America, and that's a big concern, you know, for me, the concern is in the quality of the products that are being fed into the Latin American countries, we do have the education in Puerto Rico so they've they've opened more stores, but there's more education in Puerto Rico than in other countries. And I have, for example, I have business people from Peru that have told me that Chinese people go to their stores and tell them, listen, take this amount of money, I will buy your entire store because they want to take over the the stores of the Peruvian people. And my friend from Peru told me many of my friends gave in because they needed money, but I was the only one in my street that said no. I'm keeping my store because I know what you're doing. I don't know if you know what I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Can you tell that there the stores in some of these other markets are Chinese? I mean, are the names Chinese or is it obvious they're Chinese stores or or not necessarily? Well, many are obvious because they name them Chinatown for example.
3: Yeah, yeah. But okay. most um many of them are disguised names as well. But when you enter and you see the employees, you know, because the employees are all Chinese.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just say, and I know this is a fact, I'm comfortable saying this, that U.S. products have a reputation of good quality. Maybe our pricing sometimes is a little bit more, though we can be very competitive. But I I, I think you'll agree, Uh, I'll let you say for yourself, but I think U.S. products have a reputation for being of good quality.
3: Oh, yeah, sure, of course, of course, you know, and also they have a, a high standard of ethics because that's something that people are not taking into account. For example, there was a huge scandal about this company, this Chinese company called Shein, mm-hmm. in which they found out that girls were, very young girls were hired to do uh, the Sewing and the manufacturing of clothing for only cents per hour. They were using child labor, and a reporter tried to get into one of those factories, and he got a uh, 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 he got a menace. You know, he's somebody told told him, don't get any closer because they can shoot you, because these companies are disguised. These companies, uh, you cannot. It's like a prison of some sort because. It's a very closed environment right. in which they don't let you in and those girls are working in there and cannot get out. There's also a book that I want to recommend that it's called The tree, the T-Shirt That Travels uh, the World, something like that. It's called something like that. Okay. And it talks about that as well, The T-Shirt That Travels the Global Economy or something like that. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody should read that book because it's an eye opener about what's really going on in the way they manufacture clothing in China. Of course, there's a huge story uh, behind that that includes other countries as as well, but those countries that were doing that in the past fixed those problems and corrected everything. And now they are making sure that their employees are properly taken care of. But we're talking about now, And now the country that is doing that is
1: China. Well, consumers have to be educated about, you know, what we're buying. And sometimes it's hard to have that information. But uh, uh, so thanks for recommending that book. That's good. Um, So um, you mentioned this uh, a little bit before, and we've talked about it. Talk about how you've been mentoring young people in your local fashion industry, Um, you know, you touched upon it, but where's the help most needed and, and how's that going? Well, uh, the place in
3: which we need more help is in statistical data. Like, I know I say it a lot, but it's what saved my business.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, you go, well, you can see this worldwide. It's not only in Puerto Rico or the Caribbean. You see fashion runways and what do you see? You see clothing that looks like a fantasy. Yeah, okay, that's cool for a company that is using it as a marketing tool to sell other commercial products. Like for example, the uh, big fashion companies like Fendi or Gucci that are members of a conglomerate of brands that are doing that just as a marketing tool to sell other things that are real, more realistic to buy. Okay. but in Puerto Rico the fashion designer is not supported by any conglomerate of, of corporations for example the the in Puerto Rico and the Caribbean and in in Latin America the fashion designer is by him or herself so that means that whatever they show in the wrong way they have to sell you know eh, eh, they cannot do a fashion wrong way that it's full of clothes that are beautiful for the the fantasy, but not for buying in real life. That's something that we cannot do in in Puerto Rico or or in Latin America. And yet we're doing it because we watch New York, we watch Paris, and we say, oh, they're doing it and they're being successful. Why is it that we're not successful? They don't have the information to realize that these big companies are doing this just as a marketing tool. Like for example, the no. Victoria's mm-hmm. Secret runway. They don't sell those huge wings <laughs> yeah. in, in the, in the Victoria's Secret stores. They sell other things. But yeah. they are under they are working on the under the impression that this is the way to go. Where it's where it's very different because in our case, we are the ones who pay for everything in our own way. So it really has to sell. So my suggestion to the new generation of designers is to tie the need of the consumer with what they are going to show in the runway because if they show runways full of beautiful long dresses but people in puerto rico don't use them for example i don't go to the supermarket in a long uh, right. in a long right, right. You know, and, and you know if if this is not the need of the consumer why do you keep doing it Right. That's why I enter to the ateliers, which are the stores of the designers, and I can see racks and racks and racks of clothes that never sold out. And those that those textiles degrade over time. You're going to lose Hmm. that piece of clothing, and on top of that, you're contaminating the environment because the fashion industry is the second largest contaminator in the world.
1: I can see that. I can see that. Uh, We don't. You know, I, I was thinking when, during COVID, I was thinking about why am I buying new outfits every year? Why don't I recycle what I have in my closet? And I am trying to do that more. Uh, but of course that doesn't really fit with what, you know, people who are selling uh, fashion, I appreciate that. Uh, but it, it's interesting, I can I can see how that is true so
3: uh, and also for, uh, fashion designers can rethink how they do their clothing like for example they can recycle the clo- the, the the textiles of that clothing that they showed previously sure. in wrong, wrong ways and they know that it's not gonna sell they can recycle that clothing into more commercial gowns or, or pieces of clothing that they can sell and show to the people, I care about the environment as well, because I took this dress that I knew that it was not going to sell because it was part of the fantasy of the runway. Right. And I just took it apart because I needed the fabric mm-hmm. to do more, more pieces of clothing that would be more realistic to sell. That's a good message that they can send by doing that. That's an
1: excellent message. Uh... Excellent message. So, well, you know, um, so, all right, so let's get into the storytelling, because as you know, that we're all about export stories. So uh, do you have a few stories that you can share with us uh, about you know, that just tells us something about your business and your experiences. Oh,
3: yeah, I have a few stories.
1: <laughs> oh, good. Well, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You
3: know, uh, today, uh, I always wanted to be uh, an international brand. But in Puerto Rico, like I told you before, the mentality was not there. So I would knock on doors or on different government offices, and everybody in the government would tell me, well, why do you want to be a big brand? Why do you want to be an international brand? Just open a small store in your hometown and sell to your people. That was actually the message that I was getting from the government officials in Puerto Rico. That was many years ago, of course, yeah. you know, that has changed. Yeah. Because Good. if not, our economy is going to die. So <laughs> it has yeah. changed by necessity. But when I started many years ago, that was the message that everybody was telling me. And I was like, what is the part of, I want to be international that you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to be an international brand, no matter what you say. So if you're not going to give me the answers that I need for my questions, I'm going to search for them by myself. So, so since I told you bef- before that there was no statistical data to tie the needs of the customer with the offer yeah. in the fashion industry, I decided to ditch. The fashion runways and go to the boutiques to sell my products directly. Okay. Uh, in the boutiques, they would not buy my products because my products were made for the runway. You see the problem? Yes. <laughs> because the people yes. in the boutiques, the boutiques, the boutique owners are the ones that are working with the everyday customer. They are the ones who have the statistical data because they work with real customers every day. So they will tell me all the time. This is beautiful. The workmanship is incredible, but this will not sell in our boutiques. Of course, you know, at that time I did not have access to stores like Nima Marcus or something like that. I think my artistic jewelry that I used to do was a better fit for those stores, but those stores are not in Puerto Rico and I didn't have money to travel. So at the moment, that was not an option. I needed something that would sell locally. So when they told me this is not a fit for our stores, I said, okay, so that means that if I want to tie the information about the needs of the consumer with my offer, Mm -hmm. why don't I open my own boutique? (laughs) I know it sounds crazy, but it was the only way because the statistical data was nowhere in Puerto Rico. So I opened my own boutique and it was quite an adventure because I almost became broke doing it. But it, it was a, a beautiful learning school in which I learned all the data that I needed to connect the consumer. I learned even the favorite uh, colors of Puerto Rican women and their price points, uh, their price resistance points. Where, at what point would you show a product and a price to a consumer? And they would go like, oh, gee, I love it. But that price, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I yeah. learned about the price points the colors, what do they need? And once I started realizing that I had enough data to be useful for my jewelry brands, I was like, okay, now I'm going to redesign everything in Cristalos. And i and that's what I did. I redesigned my offer and I tested it in my own boutique and it became a huge success. Then I was like, okay, now we're into something. Great, awesome. <laughs> And at the same time, I was very, I still am. It's not the past. I'm very active in the Catholic church. My husband and I are very uh, active in the Catholic church and our parish priest told us one time, listen, you are a very prominent voice in the world of fashion. At the the same time, at that time I was in a TV show, in a TV fashion show uh, in Puerto Rico's biggest TV station. And he was like, listen, girl, you're on TV. You're doing a lot of awesome stuff in the world of fashion. You're doing like a revolution in the world of fashion. Why don't you tie what you do with the world of the Lord? And I was like, "Eh, wow, that sounds like quite a challenge because I don't even know how to start. I wouldn't know what to do. And he told me, listen, you don't need to know the Holy spirit is going to tell you. And then when the Holy spirit tells you, you are going to know, and you're going to come back to me and we are going to start working. And I was like, okay, cool. I left that thought on the back of my mind and I started doing some tests that I don't, I don't know. They, I, I didn't feel right about them, but then hurricane Maria came. And since I already had a good formula between needs of customer and offer of my jewelry. I wanted to export, but I wanted to raise capital first because exporting, as you may know, is expensive.
1: Yes, it does. It takes, it takes investment to get started. Oh yes, it
3: does. It does. And, and you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to spend like two years raising capital to be able to then export. But the day after Hurricane Maria, uh, came, I looked out at the window and I saw the destruction and I saw, wow, the, the huge destruction, everything. And I told my husband, we have to start exporting now. And he was like, but are you crazy? Don't you see through the window what's going on in Puerto Rico at this moment? And you're saying that we want to start exporting now? Wasn't that a plan like for two years? And I was like, "Yes, but listen, look outside, look at the destruction. Do you think that Puerto Rico is going to take? Is going to um, buy any fashion products at right. this moment? We're gonna become broke, and everything that we have raised so far, we're going to lose it." Nobody's going to buy any fashion products. I mean, in the emergency, what are people going to buy? They're going to buy gasoline for the power generators. They're going to buy ice for medicines, for food. They just, have to just buy- Just basics. Yeah, just basics. To go through, to, through the emergency, you know, to get by. And I said, we are going to, our business is going to die if we do not do something now. And he was like, okay. I understand. But still, I'm scared. And I could understand how, you know, why he was scared. But sure. And you know, I I went to my church, and I knelt down and I prayed to the Lord. And I said, God, this is the time I'm going to be uh, out of work for quite a while. Because nobody's going to buy any fashion products amid this emergency for months, or who knows if even a year. So please, Lord give me, give me, give me some light of what, about what should I do next? And in one week, an idea came to me to uh, use, like I said, the colors, the textures, the shapes of the stones to do rosary bracelets. And I was like, huh, okay. So one of my favorite saints is Padre Pio. So my first story was actually Padre Pio. So I built, uh first layout of the bracelet. I wrote down the meanings of each stone in a separate piece of paper, and I brought it to my, to, to my parish priest. And he looked at the bracelet, and he was like, so, okay, so what do we see here? And I was like, well, Father, you told me to think of something, and I think that the Holy Spirit finally talked to me, because... <laughs> This rosary bracelet uses the colors, the textures, and the shapes of uh, of each element to tell the story of the saint. And here's the piece of paper. And, you know, I handed him the explanation of everything. He read it and he was like, you see what I told you? You see? I told you that this Holy Spirit would talk to you. So let's get to work. And then that the parish priest, my husband and I, would go to the Burger King's or the Baskin Robbins, wherever there was electricity or at least a power generator.
1: Oh my gosh.
3: So I we took our computer. We, he took his books from his seminar in Rome and we started studying wherever there was electricity. I would pay for the food or for the ice cream. And we would study for hours at the Burger Kings or restaurants, where, wherever there was some power and some Wi-Fi, because that was very scarce in Puerto Rico by that time. Sure. And that's how this brand started. I mean, hurricane, the emergency, trying to look for electricity everywhere to work on something. And now we have a bigger team of priests around the world. We have a seminar in Massachusetts that also has, helps us out with some of the stories you know, we built something very beautiful amid a big emergency.
1: That's amazing. And and so there's a story behind each stone or each total bracelet is a, tells a story? Uh, yeah, the, each stone tells you a little bit of the story.
3: And at the end, the entire bracelet tells you the entire story of the song. I
1: see, I see. Oh, yeah, I
3: see. so... So then uh, when we had some first designs ready, I was like, okay, so now we have to get out. But how? How? Because airplanes were not getting out of Puerto Rico and they were not coming in either. The only planes that were coming in or out were the FEMA planes that were taking food
0: to Puerto Rico
3: from other countries. And the same thing was happening with the ships. So... um, The Consulate of the Dominican Republic helped me out in that. They had a ship that was sailing to the Dominican Republic and we got in in that ship, they got us in and we were able to go to the Dominican Republic to move from there to other countries. And uh, the Consulate of the Dominican Republic also sent me on commercial missions with their own Dominican people uh, to Spain. And uh, I stopped in Germany Because Mm -hmm. the plane would stop in Germany first before going to Spain. And over there, I met with the the Dominican consulate in Frankfurt, Germany. He took me to some stores in Germany of their own Dominican people. They loved their products and they started buying. I went to Spain. The same thing happened. The Dominican consulate took me Uh to to, to stores and they started buying. And then I came back to Germany and I sold again to more people. (laughs)
1: That had to have been so exciting. I, I oh, yeah, yeah. And I
3: never even considered that the consulates or the embassies were that helpful because mm-hmm. nobody tells you in Puerto Rico about the importance of contacting your embassy to get commercial information. You mm-hmm. know, when I went to Germany, when I stopped in Germany, I wrote to the U.S. Uh, embassy in Germany and they could not attend me at that time because they were at a trade show, something like that but they wrote to the U.S. Department of Commerce Director in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. His name is Jose Burgos. I did not know that person existed in Puerto (laughs) Rico. I had no idea. So uh, when they contacted Jose, Jose sent me an email while I was in Germany and he wrote to me, Joanne, the US Embassy in Germany wrote to me because you are selling your products over there. I need you to contact me. When you come back to Puerto Rico, we need to talk. And I was so scared because at the beginning, I thought that maybe I broke some international rule that I was not supposed to break or something. I was like, Oh, man, what did I do? Did I do something wrong because this guy from the federal government is writing me he's saying no when you come back you come back here I was like oh what did I do wrong (laughs) but when I yeah when I came back to Puerto Rico and he opened the door when I went to his office I was trembling I was so scared but when he opened the door and he was smiling like wow his smile was so big I was like okay so this means
1: I'm cool <laughs> he was the one that he was the one that introduced me to you. I had contacted Jose. So he's done a lot. That's that's so yeah, no, that, that's how, how
3: that's how the US came in and everything exploded because he sat down with me and he said, First of all, I need to tell you that you are a very brave woman. I need to commend you for that because hmm. There are not too many Puerto Ricans that are that brave to go alone by themselves to a place like Germany, a place like Spain to sell their products, just like that. And, you know, I took my luggage and I went to those countries because nobody educated me about how to do business. So I had to learn everything by myself. You did. And he was like, and that's why you are so brave and I want to help you. And that's where everything started. That's where everything uh, exploded for me because he took me to trade shows around the world. He took me to commercial missions that were organized in Puerto Rico. My first distributor was in Chile and it was because of a commercial mission that he got me in. So the Mm -hmm. U.S. Commercial Service came in and whatever I was doing, they maximized everything to such a level that I cannot explain to you. And I'm so grateful that the U.S. government came in and helped me so much. And then came Mm -hmm. Mr. Stephen Sullivan from the U.S. uh, Small Business Administration in Washington. And he helped me even more. And and that's how the story started,
1: expanding. That is so great. That is so great. And that is... Just, just one of the messages I've been sharing with people, the Small Business Association Administration and the U.S. Department of Commerce, that's just a great place to start when you're starting an export business. So uh, I, I have one last question. Um, I'm, it sounds like you do may, do all the design work yourself. Do you have a team or do you still do all the design work yourself? I'm
3: just well, kidding. at this moment, I cannot do
1: it by myself because it's a lot of work. You know, I have
3: so many things at the same time happening around me. But I do have a team and we do the preliminary study about everything in the story of the saint. Like, for example, we did the story of St. Oscar Romero, which is a... He's a, a very important saint in El Salvador. So I contacted the, Arch, uh, the Archbishop in El Salvador. And from his office, I got a ton of information that I needed. Uh, I always go to the source. If we can get to the deepest source, we are going to do it. So once we get the story put together, we send it to the team of priests that we have to examine if everything is all right. And this is not uh, this is not an easy pro- uh, this is not an easy process. People think that we send it to the priest and they approve everything and it's that's fine. No, sometimes they come back and they say no, this symbol is not well. Some sometimes a priest debates another priest about something in the bracelet. You know, it's uh-huh. a process that takes time, but that's what, what makes it so unique that's what makes the rosary bracelet so special that we take the care we take the time to make sure that the story is right
1: Oh, so, yeah i didn't realize i didn't understand that relationship with the church they're actually giving a kind of approval or or yeah oh okay that's that's that, that... Boy, you can't get better approval than that. That's pretty good recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> so.
3: yeah. So that's why we are part of the Catholic Marketing Network. Is a network of Catholic businesses around the United States and the world as well. It's a worldwide uh, organization, but it's from the United States. That's why we are the only ones in Puerto Rico with that seal of approval because we really take we really take the time and care to do everything right. Yeah.
1: With our rosary bracelets and chaplets. Oh my goodness! Well, Joanne, we will put. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a an episode page on the website, and uh, maybe uh, we'll show you some pictures of your products, and we'll have the link to your website. And awesome, and, yeah! And so uh, that'll be fun. And I just can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this talk today. It's really, it's been fun. I know people are going to enjoy hearing your story. Uh, to our listeners you know you should weigh in give us a shout we want to hear from you you can post questions or reach out you know with your thoughts on exportstoriespodcast.com I'm happy to share those comments Uh, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn so you know this is a community of exporters and you know let's just talk about uh, this episode and, and some of the ideas here so Thank you again, Joanne, and to all our listeners, we'll be back soon with the next episode.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers. So please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting.